Hello. Hello. I'm Kelsey. I'm Kim. Welcome to episode six of the Massive Fans Book Club podcast. We are nearing the end of A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass, and today we'll be covering only three chapters. chapters three? I know! Chapters 41, three. 42, and 43. And guys, we have so much to say. <laughs> That's why it's only three. <laughs> chapters 42 and 43 are so much. <laughs> All the feels. All the feels, people. They are so much that we had to make this an itty-bitty section. So, as a reminder, this podcast is more or less PG-13-ish, I would say. (laughs) So, uh, little ears are not advised. And also for this episode, somewhat of a trigger warning for assault. So, just throwing that out there. If you've read the book, this is not a shock. That being said, let's do this. Okay, I'm ready when you are, friend. Okay, uh, chapter 41. As a reminder, we've just finished our second trial. We are now in this weird moment in our cell where we're, you know, we were crying and then uh, a pretty boy with, you know, tall, dark and handsome came in and licked our tears away and we have mixed feelings about that. (laughs) And now we are just sitting alone in our cell (laughs) in the days that follow and we're awaiting the third trial. So at the top of 41, Thayer describes to us readers how she's experiencing kind of a loss of time. (laughs) She's Mm -hmm. not real sure how many days are passing. And she says, a permanent darkness settles over me. And I began to look forward to the moment when reason gave me the goblet of fairy wine and I could lose myself for a few hours. Okay, girlfriend is- a little disturbing. Yeah, I was like, girlfriend (laughs) is depressed. (laughs) Just a bit. Just a little. We know that post-second trial, she's kind of lost all hope in this situation. Like that whole, I can't read, I almost died because I can't read, and I had to trust a man who made, you know, burning, searing hand issues for me. Um, Like, yeah, we're just, we're not feeling real confident (laughs) after the second trial. No, poor thing. And she's telling us that, she says, I knew, I knew it deep down in my bones that the third would be the one to kill me. Like, she does not think she's going to make it out of this thing. No, she doesn't. And, like, a little later she goes on and says, the, the future I dreamed of was just that, a dream. I'd grow old and withered while he would remain young for centuries, perhaps millennia. At best, I'd have decades with him before I died. Obviously, she's talking about Tamlin. Like I said, girlfriend is depressed. Just a bit unfortunately but also this is a trope that we've discussed before like think about all your favorite vampire stories we go through this you're immortal i'm a human i'm a die before you like we're we're doing that again we are so yeah woe is me we're depressed and then another day happens or maybe it's a few days later or maybe it's the same day like pharaoh we have no freaking idea because the book just carries on (laughs) And the two shadow ladies come to take her and get her ready per huge. Uh, But this time they hear a hissing sound and wings. Mm. And it's the adder. Mm. Mr. Friendly. (laughs) Yeah, our favorite. Uh, Quickly, 
the shadow ladies who are already glamoring themselves and Farah further hide up against the wall behind their glamour and a tapestry. And one of the shadow ladies goes as far as to cover Farah's mouth. And they listen. And they hear a voice talking with the adder. And we get a few things out of this moment. Like, number one, Farah is realizing these shadow ladies ain't just handmaids. They ain't just hiding. They're spying. Uh, number two, they overhear the adder and the other voice talking about Amarantha and the High Lords and the High King, saying that the High King is less than thrilled about the whole human girl doing the trials thing. And the voice says, she, meaning Amarantha, cost him the war the last time because of her madness with Jurian. If she turns her back on him again, he will not be so willing to forgive her. He goes on a little more, but basically just continues with the sentiment, and the adder explains, Milady makes no bargains that are not advantageous to her. I'm sure Mm -hmm. he said it way weirder than that. I can't even imagine what the adder sounds like. (laughs) It kind of is creepy. (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) So they keep talking, and Feyre and the Shadow Ladies keep listening. Third, because remember I said we're learning a few things here. So thirdly, we're learning that once the voice and the adder leave in case we're confused Feyre's internal monologue explains to us what happens and why this matters whatever the king of hybern has got up his sleeve whatever he's been planning however he plans to take over the whole mortal world is about to happen he's about to be making moves and they're running mm-hmm. out of time mm-hmm. so I mean that's like a lot to learn while we're just like glamored behind a tapestry tapestry <laughs> once the adder and the dude with the voice are gone the shadow ladies relax a little and walk with favor again and rightfully so favor's like dude wtf (laughs) what she actually says is who was that and the shadow ladies say in unison trouble which (laughs) is so fun i hope they keep that for the tv show it's so funny um, so they're just like, uh, that was trouble. And Farah asks an interesting question. She says, does Resan know? And they tell her he will soon. <laughs> Which I think just like solidifies this idea that like Pharaoh saying, these, these handmaids ain't just handmaids. I mean, they're definitely spying. And I think this whole encounter solidifies what you and I have been saying the whole time, which is Resan doesn't make a single move without calculating it first. Exactly. I mean, he's got his handmaids roaming the halls. They're gathering intel. He's got Farah out of her cell each night, essentially as a way of gathering intel and building her up. At least that's what I believe. Because, I mean, dude's got a plan. And even if we don't know what it is, we know that Farah, you know, surviving is part of that. (laughs) so anyway i just i think (laughs) i think you and i are on the right track and pharaoh apparently does too because you can tell she's like slowly picking up on all of this Mm -hmm. she is she's 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 catching on she is she's she's like wait a minute but anyway some more days pass i guess they're uneventful because we don't hear about them (laughs) Uh, but now we're back in her cell and we're depressed and alone like we started the chapter and she's really having a hard time she acknowledges that she's managed to sink so far into herself that it would take quote something extraordinary to pull me out again so she's laying down i guess or maybe sitting 
but she's watching this little bit of light that seeps into her cell as it dances across her the damp ceiling of her cell and then something extraordinary does happen <laughs> music yeah yeah like who'd have thunk it <laughs> so she thinks she's imagining it like how she tells us that sometimes she imagines that the ceiling of her cell is a starry night sky i'm just saying and <laughs> she realizes that she she's not crazy she does hear music and she looks at the vent in her cell and thinks that maybe it's coming from, you know, somewhere deeper into this place and she just happens to be hearing it. But this music is different, something she's never heard before. Eyes closed, she listens, and we learn that this music to her, it's beautiful. And she says it's beauty and goodness. She describes it saying that it isn't wild, but somehow filled with violence and passion, but somehow also joy and sorrow, which can't even begin to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah but she's got her eyes closed and she basically starts to like meditate or daydream and she tells us that quote the pulse of the music was like hands that gently pushed me on upward pulling me higher guiding me through the clouds so essentially the music is allowing her an escape and in her daydream she rises up above, up above the clouds and she's looking into the distance into like a sunset or a sunrise and she kind of acknowledges what this music is doing to her, saying that while it wasn't music that you would really dance to, it's something that, you know, quote, filled the gaps of my soul to bring me to a place where there was no pain. So that's a lot. So she's un like, she's involuntarily crying now, which is someone who's done some pretty intense guided meditation, like happens <laughs> to be personally every single time I do it. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, no, I'm so I'm not super surprised. And she explains in her internal monologue that she finds herself clinging to this music because she doesn't want to wake up, basically. She doesn't want to face the dark, the reality. She doesn't want to like stay, like she doesn't want to be where she is. She'd rather stay in this little daydream in the clouds. <laughs> so she lets her imagination keep going. A palace in the sky, a place of alabaster and moonstone that she says was where all the lovely and kind and fantastic people dwell in peace. Uh, we could go into this, uh, real deep, but I'm just going to go for now with like, you know, like, you know, heaven or something, because she says it's a place where there's everyone she loved. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, she has kind of this renewed hope, like a glimmer of why she's doing this. She's thinking about Tamlin and she has like this like nice little moment where she's like remembering like his hands on her and his laugh. And when it sounded like when he said that he loved her and she says, it it was this I was fighting for. I this I had sworn to save. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, girlfriend's getting her mojo back. <laughs> but after this moment, the music seems to get louder and faster, and kind of like with a crescendo, she says that it shatters the gloom of her cell, which I just think is a really cool visualization. <laughs> and she said, and she says that she just at that point like releases all her tears, and I'm like, girl, get it all out. <laughs> And she's feeling a little better now. I guess like the music has died down and, and she's feeling better and she lays down and she's trying to go to sleep and she's kind of hearing it still in her head, remembering what she can of it. And she takes this moment and she looks at the eye on her palm and it, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't blink. And she just kind of takes a minute and looks at it and contemplates, you know, how much time she has till her last trial. 
you know, and kind of gets this attitude of like, come what may. And then I guess she falls asleep because that's the end of the chapter. And I guess like that one's not super long. And I just want to take a second to say like, I read this, you know, I've read, we've talked about this. I read this book before. <laughs> I feel like I was like, yeah, yeah. And then there's music and she has an emotional moment. And what about the third trial? <laughs> and I don't guess I committed anything about this chapter to memory. It's coming. <laughs> but like, really, I don't, like, I was doing this reread and I'm floored, I was like floored with how beautiful the description of music is and like this whole moment. Yeah. And it just paints such a beautiful picture of like what despair and depression can look like and like what she's really feeling and how music and art can be so therapeutic. And I'm like, how did I just like read through this like da 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 the first time? Well, you know, and here's the one thing, like the description that she has of that palace. Oh my God. Like I, it's so vivid. And the whole, you know, imagining the night sky. Exactly. Wow. There is that visualization going on that I'm just like, okay, <laughs> sign me up on there. Exactly. Um, well, and it just, and it goes on for pages and pages. So I can't believe that the first time I just was like, what? <laughs> like, I just feel like, I miss it. yeah, I just feel like I missed it the first time and I didn't like really take it in. So I guess what I'm saying is like, if you have read the book, but you skimmed that part, like I did, no shame, but you should definitely go back and read it again. <laughs> Like I said, I think you get sucked into, you know, all of the action of these trials, especially because admittedly, the book had some draggy moments in the first half where you kind of wondered, like, what, you know, where's the action? What are we doing? So I think you get caught up in this and you're like, okay, like, uh, as the reader, I'm ready for the third trial. <laughs> right. But I mean, they drag because they're doing the world building. You, exactly. You the plot doesn't move when you're doing that. So, I mean, unfortunately, it's kind of that... It goes back to the imagery, like this imagery always makes me, you know, it takes me back when they talk about the, the pool of moonlight and that, yes. in that little glen. You know, there are certain mental images just kind of, they stick with you. And, you know, it, it kind of is hard not to try to imagine. Well, and it'll be interesting too. I know we keep talking about the TV show that is probably like two years off and, you know, my luck will get canceled before it's ever on TV. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, I have faith in Ron Moore. I really do. Well, God, and I also have faith that Hulu wouldn't just stick its money into something they didn't really mean to do. <laughs> they didn't have any plans on actually accomplishing. Considering how well they're doing with um, some of their other shows. Yeah, no. I agree. Yeah, but I just, I think this is one of those few chapters where, you know, I've talked about a lot of chapters that are going to translate so well to TV and be so cool. This is one that I don't think will be <laughs> this is one that'll be a very fast blip exactly exactly and, and i mean they're gonna cgi it in i'd be shocked if they didn't well if you they know? do i mean in a way we may just get what you would see if you were looking at her which is a bitch listening to music <laughs> i mean I don't know how far they'll go with it. If they'll let us see her daydream or not, you know, or if we'll just hear it, the music. Wouldn't it be Wouldn't it be cool if we did? Because oh, then, yeah. then you go through all that, and then you have this beautiful. You know, I mean, the, the imagery is just—it's breathtaking. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It'll just be interesting to see what route they take with it. 
or if they skip it at all. I mean, God, that's the other thing is like, you never know what a TV show is going to be like. Yeah, we don't get time for that. <laughs> True. But anyway, the point is, is I actually really enjoyed that chapter, despite the fact that when I was doing my reread, I could not remember it. <laughs> okay, friends, 42. This is another chapter where you're either going to get my drift or we're going to lose you. <laughs> and that's okay. We understand. <laughs> we, we really do. do. We do. But let's do this. It's party time. You know, the whole get fairer, clean, cleaner, painter, dresser pattern. Yeah, we're doing that. Toga. Toga. Basically. But this time, it's her last. Her third trial is tomorrow, y'all. So this party feels a little different. Anyway, like we said, tonight feels a little different. Rhysanne is taking longer than usual to get Farah and give her the wine and make her dance and do the whole bit, which, you know, I'd think would be a relief, but what the hell do I know? Apparently, it might not be, because her internal monologue goes, and I quote, Rhysanne was taking longer than usual to summon me. Though it was probably because of the supple-bodied fairy perched in his lap, caressing his hair with her long, greenish fingers. He'd tire of her soon. Okay, do I sense jealousy? I mean, what? You know? Like, I mean, you finally got a moment to yourself. You know, I mean... <laughs> you know, she's not jealous that Tam is attached to the hip at Amarantha this whole time. But Reese has some pretty little fairy that we know nothing green about. Green fairy, by the green way. fairy, no less. <laughs> the green monster is there. I mean, yeah, it does. It reads really I jealous. I thought it read really yeah. weird. I was like, this is an odd moment. Because then we just move on. <laughs> we don't dwell so here. Bizarre. We're just like, by the way, I'm kind of irritated at that girl in his lap. Anyway, uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it just is weird. And the it really is. She's like, she's there. But she's kind of like not being ogled, not being like she's being ignored, but not just by Reese. Like right. Everybody. Right. Right. Which and, is really weird. And it is. I agree. So she's alone at the party, which we think she'd prefer to be, but you know, whatever. Apparently, this is like kind of lonely. And, uh, you know, she's only in it for the booze, which I kind of get. <laughs> Sadly, I, I get that too. Uh, so, you know, no judgment here. But she's telling yeah. us about how, you know, Reese is busy doing whatever. And Lucian never talks to her in public. And she feels like she can't even look at Tam these days. So she's just standing there, you know, thinking. And suddenly, a body close to hers. And without flinching, moving, looking, she knows it's Tamlin. Ooh. Yeah, she can sense him, even smell him, by the way, <laughs> which, you know, like, good on her, because I know they have really good sense of smell, so for a human to be able to be like, oh, that's my high lord, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty intense, I think, personally, but anyway, I digress, and they're just standing there. Pheromones. I don't know. Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah, that could be a thing, <laughs> 
And they're just standing there like this, fingers barely brushing. And I mean, yeah, duh, they can't be seen, you know? And so honestly, like, I get this. It's kind of like their last, <laughs> I guess it's like their last chance to have a moment, you know? Why wait till now? Like, I mean, okay. Right. But I'm just saying like, so they're trying not to get caught. They're standing here close together, not looking at each other because they don't want to draw attention to themselves. Their fingers are kind of brushing. They're like kind of breathing in this moment. And honestly, I kind of get this, you know, given everything that's been going on and the fact that her last trial is tomorrow and that could go, you know, bad. So I kind of get this. And the reason, the reason I say this is because this is the last thing I get for the next couple of pages. The next couple of pages I don't fucking get. Okay, if I'm being honest, <laughs> you know why. That's the way Kim's just rolling around laughing at me right now because she knows I have real strong feelings about what's about to go down. Anyway, we'll get there. So the two of them have this moment. And they're just, like, trying not to ruin it. They just want to, like, bask in it. So they're just, like, silently standing there, kind of, like, trying to, like, mentally say whatever they need to say. And, like I said, I, like, I respect that. It's the bullshit that's about to go down that I can't wrap my head around. But he pulls his hand away from hers, and he starts walking through the crowd towards the back of the room. And he looks over his shoulder and kind of, like, cocks his head at her. And she takes this as a cue which, I mean, the man can't communicate when he talks, so, I mean, he's really lucky that she picked up on this. <laughs> maybe he's better at nonverbal? I, I, uh, maybe. <laughs> so, she decides she's supposed to follow him. And she winds through the room, too, but takes a different path, because our girl is smart, and she watches him, like, duck through this little door, and she follows. And once they're in this, like, dark hall or dark room or whatever, I I think it's described as a room, but in my head, it would have to be a hallway. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It doesn't room matter. Door. It's a room closet for all I know. Well, I mean, oh, you know, maybe you're right. <laughs> I don't know. I pictured a hall, personally. I pictured, like, a dark hall with, like, no lights and just, like... Actually, I, it, that makes far more sense. Because walls. Really, there are doors at both ends, aren't there? See, that's what I kind of thought, too. But anyway, I don't know. It's a room hall closet. I don't know. <sighs> Well, anyway, they get out into the room hall, dark closet place, and Tamlin is on her, like, white on rice. <laughs> he's got her up against the wall. Like, before I know what's going on, he's got her up against the wall, and they're, like, making out big time. I mean, <laughs> I laugh because I'm just, like, so shocked. Um, she tells us, I couldn't kiss him deeply enough, couldn't hold him tightly enough, couldn't touch him enough. Words weren't necessary. And she's, like, literally pulling on his clothes. She's, like, she's half naked in her dress, remember? But she's, like, undoing his belt buckle. She's, like, got her leg wrapped up against him. Like, she, you get the picture. He bites her all call back to fire night, which she even remarks, you know, he bit me, like, on fire night or whatever. And I don't understand because fire night wasn't all that great. So I don't know why you'd want to remember that night. But I digress. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I don't know what we're doing here. So we're going at it, and, like, we're seconds away from, you know, I don't know, entry, as I will call it. <laughs> I'm going to call it what it is. They're seconds away from begging each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't, I don't think he's quite pantsless yet. We're just close. Uh, so we're interrupted. <laughs> like, that's a surprise. 
<laughs> we're interrupted because this person says shameful and i agree okay i totally agree and here's why and kim knew this was coming because i have feels about this just a little just, just a few it's okay it's like oh is this girl approved nah it's not that i could not keep up with this series if that was the case my problem <laughs> My problem is that this is potentially her last night not dead. And so, like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, you might die. I guess, you know, get it on. But on the other hand, like this, this is how we spend our final moments together. Like, okay, first of all, they had to know there wouldn't be enough time for this. Unless they were about to have the most unsatisfying sex of all time. Okay? <laughs> But, but again, suit yourself, whatever. Who am I to judge? Well, Secondly, she wasn't going to get off, that's for sure. Well, that's my point. I'm like, so what is the point of this? Like, what are we doing? But then secondly, there are better uses of time here. He could give her advice on her last trial. Thank her for coming to save his sorry ass. You know, anything. They could be taking this moment to discuss, like, I don't know, their feelings. The feelings she's been saying since she fucking left her house and Nesta and everybody else about how she wants to tell him she loves him, which she still hasn't done, really, by the way. Other than in public environments, making declarations and not right. actually just not to him. Like, to him, right. So we could be doing that, but, you know, instead, the point, you know, my point is, what in the dumb jock is this moment? Like, what are we doing, okay? So, you it's know. It's like a bad fraternity hookup. I'm Right, sorry. I'm like, so, so shame. I, I agree with this. And now, <laughs> as soon as I read this, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. This is shameful. And now, I, like, want to quote Mushu from Mulan and be like, dishonor on you, dishonor on your family, dishonor on your cow. <laughs> <sighs> okay, I'm over my moment. It's fine. Anyways. Mushu. Yeah, Mushu and I are okay now. <laughs> Just shameful, Resand, as it turns out, reiterates <laughs> as he enters from, you know, wherever the fuck Resand comes from. <laughs> the, ne the nether, I mean. <laughs> right. But he's apparently the only one capable of thinking above the belt here because he says, Amarantha would be greatly aggrieved if she knew her little warrior was dallying with the human help. I wonder how she'd punish you. Or perhaps she'd stay true to habit and punish Lucian. He still has one eye to lose, after all. Maybe she'll put it in a ring, too. <laughs> right, right. And Tamlin basically pulls away because, sorry, Reese is an ass, but he's also right. He is. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you point out earlier, Lucian never talks to her at these things. Well, shit, do you blame? <laughs> well, I mean, Every right. Time he tries to do something for her, it backfires and his ass gets fucked. Right, exactly. So Tamlin's kind of like, you know, don't want to be like, dude's right, but dude's right. So Reese goes on, he says, now be a clever high lord and buckle your belt and fix your clothes before you go out there. And that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm like, this moment blows my mind because this isn't like somehow they made it like, I don't know, this isn't like some other 
movie where instead of you know being under the mountain which we have no idea how to get in and out of this place like this isn't like just some like you know castle where like the two of them have snuck off and they're like in the bushes in the garden where probably no one will find them you know what i mean like they're in a fucking hallway like 10 feet away from amarantha like what are we doing and this moment pisses fair the fuck off which you know i get because it's not really him telling <laughs> Tamlin to put his pants on that pisses her off. It's the fact that Tamlin just does what he's told. He doesn't say anything. Right. He gets stupid again. It's like, oh, okay. Like if I wasn't annoyed already, <laughs> I would be now. <laughs> because I'm like, this is your woman, Tam. Like, I may not agree with your use of time, but at least like fight for this moment, okay? <laughs> Tell her how you feel. Give her a chance to tell you how she feels. Don't just suck her face off. Okay, but even further than that, if ta- if Reese comes along and is like, Tamlin, put your pants on, wouldn't you have some sort of witty retort? Like, don't you have somewhere else to be? Can't you just give us a minute? Shut the fuck up. Anything. <laughs> Instead, he's just yeah, like, really? okay. <laughs> <sighs> Whatever. So, uh, remember, bitch be painted. So, Reese magics the paint off of Tamlin's hands. And Tam puts his belt on. And, and in fairness, before leaving, he does turn to Feyre and he tells her he loves her. But then he just leaves. <laughs> he doesn't even give her a chance to respond. Right. Then he just leaves. Bye. And Reese makes an admittedly shitty comment. Uh, he says, if you're that desperate for release, you should have asked me. And she calls him a pig, which, again, is fair. Uh, but it feels like a bad fraternity party. It really does. I'm sorry. Yeah, and we'll kind of come back to that in a minute because I think that image that you and I both have of where we're saying like, oh, it kind of does sound like a bad fraternity party might be why this rubs people the wrong way. Probably. But in seconds, you know, <laughs> if you wanted to, we could have fucked. Uh, you're a pig is basically what happens. And then in seconds, Reese is now like all up in Farrah's business. He's got her by the wrist and, so that she can't walk away. And he basically unloads his irritation about this whole situation. And he calls her a fool and basically says what I said earlier, which is, do you have any idea what could have happened had Amarantha found you two in here? Tamla might might refuse to be her lover, but she keeps him at her side out of hope that she'll break him, dominate him, and as she loves to do with her kind. You're both fools. His breath is apparently uneven now, which is like, I mean, Farrah goes out of her way, like, to mentally tell us, like, dude's breathing heavy, uh, which tells me this man is mad and scared because, like, he's got a lot going on, you know? Like, he needs his girl to stay alive. <laughs> Just a bit. Like, they he needs, well, right, he needs her to win for his own uses, but he also probably doesn't really want to see her get ripped apart by Amarantha because, you know, these, her boyfriend's too stupid to keep it in his pants, you know? So I feel like he's a little upset about this whole thing, to say the least, because he goes on, how did you not think that someone would notice you were gone? You should think the Cauldron Lucian's delightful brothers weren't watching you, which like, he's got a point since they seem to always be watching her in that creepy, weird way. I mean, she tells us that every time she goes to these parties. I know. So we done lucked out here. Mm -hmm. And so she's all what do you care which it seems is exactly the wrong thing to say to this man because now he's in a mood 
And he says, what do I care? He breathed, wrath twisting his features. Wings, those membranous, glorious wings flared from his back, crafted from the shadows behind him. What do I care? Okay, like dude's losing it. <laughs> like what a moment. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Disney. I like her. I like her description. Membranous wings, his glorious mem. Like, hello. I know, but it reminds me of Disney's Hercules when Hades' hair would just like go into like extra tall flames when he got mad. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. 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 <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's having a moment. But Reese doesn't get to finish this thought because what we learn from Feyre is that his head snaps to the door, then back to her face, his wings quickly disappear before he is very forcibly kissing her. Crushing her lips, she says. And next we know he's kind of like forced his tongue in her mouth. And I will note that I guess some people just stop reading here because they get awfully upset and we'll get into that in a second. But the point is, yeah. he's kissing her, and the door opens, and it's Amarantha, which I think mm -hmm. is key here. Mm -hmm. Amarantha appears, unfortunately, with Tamlin, and she laughs, and Reese kind of, like, fakes this bow, and, you know, her lackeys all giggle, but Farrah notices two things. One, the fact that Tamlin has basically gone completely stone-faced on her. And two, Amarantha is laughing, but she sees some kind of, like, spark in her eye as she's watching Reese. Mm -hmm. And Feyre's suddenly remembering that he's supposedly her whore, and I think he's like, she's like, oh, wait, is there something to this? So... Amarantha basically says how she knew this would happen eventually. Humans are fickle. They don't really know how to love. Blah, 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 blah. Feyre's too busy worrying about Tamlin, hoping he knows that what he just saw, like, wasn't something she asked for. So Amarantha hurls an insult. Typical human trash with their inconstant dull hearts. And then she decides to go back into the throne room. Reese grabs Feyre's arm, and they follow her. And then this moment is key to the conversation that we are about to have. Feyre's internal monologue tells us, it was only when the light hit me that I saw the smudges and smears that were in the paint, smudges along my breasts and stomach, and the paint that had mysteriously appeared on Reese's hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, he didn't do that. Tamlin did. Remember when Reese magics the paint off of Tamlin's hands and now it's on Reese's? Are you getting the picture? He's protecting her. <laughs> Maybe. So Reese basically pulls a, I'm tired, <laughs> I'm sick of you, go back to your cell, and favors off. She tries to look at Tamlin just for a moment, but he won't look at her. We get one of those little snowflakey deals in the middle of the book where there probably should be a chapter break, but there isn't, so we move on. But before we do, let us discuss. There are those on the interwebs who are very, very triggered by the events that we just explained. And if you are someone who's maybe been touched or kissed or worse without your consent, then I am truly sorry, sorry and I truly understand why this would not be a book for you. Mm -hmm. like I truly wouldn't wish that on anyone so I get that 
But that being said, I don't think that for the general public, this is the assault that some readers seem to think it is. Very true. And I don't think they kept reading. <laughs> because I think if they had, they would have pieced together what we were just talking about, which is yep. Reese caught Feyre and Tamlin. He knew that they couldn't get caught by Amarantha without dire consequences. And we know he hears Amarantha coming when he looks at the door. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he's covering. He's covering for why Favor's paint looks like it does, making it appear that he's been the one with her in the hallway and not Tamlin, because we need Feyre and Tamlin alive. For tomorrow. Right. So my point is just to freak out and burn the book over this plot point just seems short-sighted to me. I agree. So I I just feel like some of these people who are so offended put the book down before reading three more paragraphs that could have gotten you to this explanation. The other problem is, is I think some of these people were so triggered that, and I, and I'm not taking away from their experience that causes this. Okay. But they're so triggered that they're, they're not able to see the forest for the trees. Well, right, because I I think it's kind of what you and I touched on before, which is the problem is you're right. It reads a little bit like a bad frat party. And so if you've had that experience at a bad frat party, this is too much for you. And that's and that's completely understandable. It's just that like we've said before, I think you have to put your fantasy hat on. Mm-hmm. Because you can't because you can't and you shouldn't get away with this shit at a college party. That's different. No, but is. this is fantasy and this supposed scenario is supposed to be life or death. And given the option to be kissed by some guy you don't like or killed on the spot. By a crazy bitch queen. Right. Given those two options, I'm going to pucker up. Yep. And so I don't say that lightly to, you know, belittle anybody who's uncomfortable with this plot, I can completely see why someone would be uncomfortable with this plot. And like I I said, if if that ain't for you, cool beans, totally get it, you know, there will be other books we read in the series that probably will be less triggering for those kinds of things. But not in this series. There are other series. (laughs) No, not in this one. In other series that we cover. In our series. But, you know, the point is, is I'm going to move on from here because I I don't think that a lot of the people who threw the book out at this point uh, truly knew (laughs) what the plot point was. No, I agree. The next part in this chapter does exactly what you and I are saying, which is if you are oversensitive to what just happened, you're going to miss what Feyre has to say about it. And I don't think it does any of us any good to assume how Feyre feels about it without reading about what Feyre feels about it. Well, exactly. I also think sometimes people are just, they're looking for a reason to react and they're not willing to look into what actually is going on in front of them. And they just see it and they they trigger off of that instead of like paying attention to what, to the deeper to the deeper point here and I think that's you know I think that's where I struggle with some of these people because I'm like look I get that you're upset I get yes it can be a trigger 
but at the same time she's not freaking out i was gonna say i think the key here is and i just thought about this like while you were talking i think the key here is is you and i completely understand why this would trigger a reader potentially because maybe this hits too close to home for you and for you to feel that way is completely valid but for random people on the internet to feel triggered and worry about the feelings of an imaginary character like on an imaginary character's behalf is the part that we have a problem with you know yeah if it triggers you because of your own experiences absolutely I'm right there, i get it i feel you but if you're freaking out because you think it's wrong because you're putting 20th 21st century morals into something that is a fantasy book of fiction right on a character that's not real, then yeah, I'm struggling. Right. Well, especially because of what happens next. So I'm going to jump in here. A few hours have passed and she's in her cell and she hears footsteps mm-hmm. coming. And so she sits up and recent appears and she can't even make words come out. It's been a weird night. And now he does yeah. something odd. He falls back against the wall, slumps over and slides down to the floor. This man is... Yeah, his man is tired, friends. Well, Lefera don't care, and I respect that. <laughs> I do too. Because she asks him, you know, what do you want? And he says, a moment of peace and quiet. And she says he's like rubbing his temples, and she's like, from what? And he says, from this mess. And Fair is surprised because he's being so candid, and I think we all are. And I know I've quoted more than I usually do, but I think it's important we get exact words on some of this because of the nature of the discussion we've been having about this chapter. He says, that damn bitch is running me ragged. You hate me. Imagine how you'd feel if I made you serve in my bedroom. I'm high lord of the night court, not her harlot. And suddenly, it clicks for Feyre that these weren't just slurs, like we weren't just like, boo, you whore. It had been the truth all along. Yeah. And she kind of gets it. And it's clicking for her and it's clicking for her, you know, what that would do to her, to any person. Mm-hmm. And she asks, you know, why are you telling me this? Noting that his usual swagger and nastiness seem to be gone. Mm-hmm. And he says, because I'm tired and lonely, and you're the only person I can talk to without putting myself at risk. Which, again, is a truly telling moment because this man clearly has done nothing this whole time without calculating it first. But, you know, then he says something, he's kind of, you know, back to his normal ways. He's trying to, you know, poke fun, being ass about something about her being human and ew humans, you know? And she's, you know, all, well, then you can leave. And he laughs a little and then finally really kind of says, you know, part of why he's here. And he says, one wrong move tomorrow, Farah, and we're all doomed. And if you fail, then Amarantha will rule forever. Yeah. And Farah's kind of like in shock, which I mean, again, I think we would all be. <laughs> yeah. Because we kind of knew it was this simple, but nobody has put it like that yet. Right. This is all, basically everything is riding on this one poor human girl. 
But it also explains why he's gone out of his way to help her. Right, which he pretty much explains to us. Feyre kind of needs more pieces put together, <laughs> as we all do, and asks, Sometimes, you know, yeah. what makes him so sure that if she won, like, anything's really going to change. And Reese finally explains what he's been, like, what he's been all about this whole time. These weeks, mm-hmm. making sure that she's, like, healthy and fed, you know, at least halfway healthy <laughs> and sort of fed, telling her right and like all this time like he keeps you know telling her she needs to win and he's betting on her and blah 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 and he tells us the moment you break amarantha's curse tamlin's wrath will be so great that no force in the world will keep him from splattering her on the walls and then he basically says what i did he explains why he's been doing all of this why he hasn't and he points this out like why don't why do you think i haven't touched you you know he mean you know beyond he says that beyond the waist or your arms you know which in fairness until this kiss incident a few hours ago anyway and i always the thing is is like kim you and i have talked about this i always suspected that the waist is even a fair one because someone's got to keep her upright when she's drunk exactly so, like, mostly, if you're thinking about the, he's only touched two places, essentially, because she's remarked on that before, that it's only her arms and her waist, while the waist is probably mostly to keep her upright, and also she doesn't, like, wander off drunk and confused, and then the arms is, again, probably to get her back to her cell. Okay, we gotta go this way. No, this way. I mean, God, have you ever tried to drag someone drunk back home? Good God. Sadly, yes, I have. God help us all. <laughs> right. So, anyway. <laughs> point is is he points out that he needs tam to know that he's been doing this to help that he was this was all part of the bigger plan and that he was on favor's side all along and he is banking on the fact that tam will be more mad at amparantha than she is at him yep which seems fairly logical to me But then he says something. We just want to, like, take this moment. Because kind of, like, earlier when we were like, oh, why does she seem jealous of the weird girl in his lap? (laughs) He said something slightly telling before kind of changing the subject. He says, believe me, I would have liked nothing more than to enjoy you. But there are bigger things at stake than taking a human woman to my bed. And (laughs) And then she asks, like, what? (laughs) I don't think she meant that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, to me, that read really funny because I feel like it reads, it can read one of two ways. It's like, like what? There's something better than me? I know that's not what she means, but that's kind of how it read. I was like, well, this is awkward. No, I agree. It does read that way. It's kind of funny. Too. I don't think that's what she meant. I think that's just kind of one of those bad choice of words moment because he says, like my territory, like my remaining people enslaved to a tyrant queen who can end their lives with a single word. Surely Tamlin's expressed similar sentiments to you. And Feyre notes that he had not. Nope. (laughs) And not to be too hard on the man. (laughs) Uh, Because to be fair, you know, he really couldn't because of the curse. But honestly, I think there are other reasons because I'm sorry. Like we all know that okay we all understand the book is from Feyre's perspective so who knows but I just feel like even with the curse Tamlin could have made a bigger deal about the fact that he's like trying to keep his people safe but he never even talks about his people true 
<laughs> he just like goes on patrol sometimes to the border and we don't really hear about like I guess maybe maybe he goes checks on people I don't know he never talks about them I know it's kind of weird but trying to get to this overarching point we've been making Feyre opens another can of worms and she asks Reese how he ended up as Amarantha's horror. And I'm sorry, but his answer is brutal. <laughs> My father killed Tamlin's father and his brothers. Mm-hmm. Period. And Feyre's realizing she never knew that till now. And mm-hmm. he doesn't really go into details, but he basically says that Amarantha stole everybody's lands and then ultimately decided she wanted to punish the son of a friend's murderer. She was mad enough about what his father had done that she decided to make him suffer. Mm-hmm. And Feyre kind of struggles in this moment because she mm-hmm. sort of wants to comfort him, sort of wants to offer him some sort of apologies about what's happened to him, about what's yeah. been being done to him, like, you know, right up until he walked into her cell. But she doesn't. And he yeah. hangs his head in his hands and he's mumbling about how he can Kind of like we said, we can't believe this moment came, comes down to a human girl. But Farrah's mind is still reeling. And we get her internal monologue that is so important and the point that we've been discussing. She mm-hmm. says, part of me searched for the words to wound him in his vulnerability. And the other half of me recalled all that he had said, all that he had done, how his head had snapped to the door before he kissed me. He'd known Amarantha was coming. Maybe he'd done it to make her jealous, but maybe if he hadn't been kissing me, if he hadn't shown up and interrupted us, I would have gone out of that throne room covered in smudged paint. And everyone, especially Amarantha, would have known what I'd been up to. It wouldn't taken much to figure out whom I'd been with, especially not once they saw the paint on Tamlin. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to just I didn't want to consider what the punishment might have been yep. regardless of his motives or his methods Resand was keeping me alive and he had done so before I ever set foot under the mountain yeah and this mm. is why I'm like this is what I've been saying <laughs> boom <laughs> all at once this is why I think it's so important that when, you know, like I said, within reason, of course, everybody has to know their own boundaries, but even when something makes you uncomfortable, sometimes you need to sit in that for a minute Mm -hmm. and figure out what's really going on because things aren't always what they seem. And I also just want to like yell, see, (laughs) because you and I knew all along that, that, Sarah J. Mass isn't an idiot. She didn't write a complete asshole and give him this much screen time. <laughs> like, you and I knew there was a point to this. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Reese disrupts her thoughts and basically says, you know, he's probably talked too much. You know, she could probably, you know, get him into trouble. And he gets up and he's ready to leave. But Farrah's watching him and something about the way his shoulders are just, you know, slumped down makes her speak. She says, when you healed my arm, you didn't need to bargain with me. You could have demanded every single week of the year, every single week, and I would have said yes. Mm -hmm. Not a question, she notes, and it's not. 
because she's probably right. He had the upper hand in this situation and she didn't want to die and she wanted to save Tam. So she probably would have taken the first deal or worse. Mm-hmm. But before disappearing, he smiles a little and tells her, I know. Which, what a Han and Leia moment. <laughs> I love you. I know. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, okay, not the same, but still. <laughs> Close. Close. <laughs> Basically, the point is, is she's, they're both acknowledging in this moment that A, they actually are on the same side. And B, mm. even when they made the deal, like he allowed her to like lower the stakes at that moment you know two weeks no five days no 10 days no a week fine a week like he let that happen because it was never about the deal nope it was about keeping her alive exactly so i feel like we unpacked so much in that chapter (laughs) so with that (laughs) chapter 43 kim take it away because that shit's a doozy as well (laughs) Woo! Baby, is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? So, we are now at chapter 43, which means trial three is here. So, yeah. So, um, so Farah had a really lovely time at last night's party. Not. <laughs> yeah, that went like it went. <laughs> mm, like a big fat lead balloon. And, you know, here we are the next day. And uh, they're getting her ready for her third trial. And... They bring her back her old clothes. She has to it's put a on weird that choice, really. It it's is. like a weird it's thing that finally they were like, oh, your last trial, let's put you back in your fur- the clothes you showed up in. Yeah, I don't get it. I'm thinking Reese couldn't put her in clean clothes somehow. I'm, I'm just thinking maybe, I don't know. Yeah, Amarantha's a little grumpy from the uh, night before. Escapades. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they, they put her in her old tunic and pants and drag her into the throne room. But for the first time, quiet, they're really like kind of somber and um, really paying attention to her and staying very focused. In fact, there's no jeers, but instead she's being given signs of respect, uh, fingers to the lips, and then reached out to her as a farewell as a way to honor the dead, uh, which is kind of disturbing. It makes you wonder how successful these people think she's going to be i i'm thinking they don't but also, you know it's a little bit of like a hunger games visualization just it saying. is isn't it and she makes a comment in here though and she's like you know most of these fairies belong to the courts of the other high lords and they had belonged to the courts long before amarantha had seized their lands and their lives and if tamlin and recent were playing games to keep us alive dot 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 So she's suddenly starting to put puzzle pieces together, which I'm glad because I was kind of worried she wasn't. Yeah, me too. And so she gets put in front of Amarantha and Amarantha's sitting there looking just Amarantha-y in a red dress. And Tamlin is sitting in the throne next to Amarantha, totally stone-faced, no response, no nothing. And Amarantha is like, Two trials are behind you, one awaits you. Anything you want to say before you die? For the first, and up to this point, she hadn't even looked at Tamlin. Feyre has, has, has only focused on, on Amarantha. She's got her head high. She finally turns and she looks at Tamlin. And um, 
she's like, and what she says is, I love you. No matter what she says about it, no matter how, if it's only with my insignificant human heart, even when they burn my body, I'll love you. I know. And she starts to cry, which is really sad, but she doesn't wipe them away. She just lets the tears fall. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, Amaris is like, you'll be lucky if there's anything left, which is kind of an awful thing to say, considering what the last two trials have been like. I mean, you had the worm and you had the, the, the spike, the fire spike. Right. Right. But I will say, and you're going to get to the actual trial, like what it entails in a moment. But I will say, it's a weird thing to say, knowing what this trial is. It is. It's so bizarre. It makes literally no sense. No. Well, in hindsight, what it tells you is, is no matter what, Amaretha was determined she wasn't going to live. But Well, yes, in that sense. But I mean, like to say, you'll be lucky if there's... Like, you'll be lucky if you, if there's enough left of you to burn. Right. Implies, like, something gonna, like, eat her limbs off or something. Like, she's gonna be ripped limb from limb. (laughs) But for the first time, there is no response from the audience, except for a few of the guards. Like, nobody, not even, not even Lucian's awful brothers react, which to me is really telling, because, you know, remember, in the previous chapter, at the end, you know, he stands in her in her cell and he's like you die tomorrow that's it we're we're fucked basically and so yep oh you know the entire the entire audience under the mountain is realizing that their future rests on Pharaoh's shoulders so no matter what so even the ones that have been kind of laughing at her and poking at her up to this point you know or something very quiet. And, and, and I find that to be a very telling moment in, in the seriousness within where we are in this chapter and what's been going on. For sure. Um, and Amarantha does, you know, it's, it's kind of, remember that, that Feyre had her thing when that fairy died at the manor house and she's like, I didn't want them to die alone because I don't want, I would never want to die alone. Uh-huh. And it comes back. And it does because the silence gives her courage and it made her embrace the tattoo on her arm. She had been, she had beaten Amarantha up until this point, barely or not. And she would not feel alone when she died. She would not die alone. And that was all she could ask for. And I'm like, whoa, well, already then you go, Farah. I mean, for real, I love that. And it's funny because I have it highlighted in mine too. And uh, in case anybody wonders how we do these episodes, like Kim and I talk about like what chunks we're going to do and like who's going to cover what chapters. So sometimes what we get out of the chapter or highlight is different based on like, you know, if she's covering it, I might not highlight as much or, you know, vice versa. And it's funny because we both highlighted this, but I just noticed something about my highlight that's just kind of funny because I had picked up on... I had beaten her until now, fairly or not, and I would not feel alone when I died. I would not die alone. It was all I could ask for. And I'm like, right, right, that's a callback. Somehow, I like two times, I've read this book now, two times, and right over my head, that made me embrace the tattoo on my arm. What the hell, Kelsey? How'd you miss that part (laughs) twice? How'd you miss that twice? Twice. Twice you missed that. 
So somebody done did his job and made her feel confident in this moment. Well, I'm because fucking blondie over here. E- even even if Tamlin doesn't make her feel that way, the fact that Rhysand has branded her with this tattoo, <laughs> she will not die alone. I mean, it's like this. And I feel like such an idiot. How did I miss that twice? I missed it the first time, but the second time I got it. You know what it is? It's that I was focused on, I knew that quote, like, about her not wanting yeah. to die alone would come back. So right. I, like, I think my eyeballs went directly to that, and I probably didn't even read, like, the two sentences before. Yeah, because you don't, you know, you, uh, you do know it's going to come back. Especially yeah. with the way they're building this chapter up, you kind of know that that quote was going to come back to bite her. And, it's going to come back a, in our next episode, too. It does. Anyway, at this point, suddenly Amarantha's is like, you never figured out my riddle now, did you? What a bitch. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, what a bitch, but also all of us are so irritated because we just want to scream the answer at her. But anyway. Yes. But I, 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 I highlighted this part too because I have to say, it, I love I I Amarantha's response to it. Pity, the answer is so lovely. And I'm like, oh dear God. <laughs> And of course, at this point, Sarah's done. She's tired of playing games. She's like, just get this over and done with. Let's go. <laughs> you know. So Amarantha does her thing. The doors open. And three hooded figures are walked in to the throne room. And there are hoods over their faces, so you don't know who they are. Two males and a female. And they're brought in. And they don't face Amarantha. They're brought in to face Vera. And they're put on their knees in front of her. Hoods over the faces, forced down. And then these servants come up and they have pillows next to them. And on the, the little pretty pillow is an ash dagger. Mm-hmm. And so it comes out. That, you know, the final task, you'll stab each of them in the heart with, this, with, with a dagger. And each one gets a new dagger, by the way. So there are three daggers, three, mm-hmm. three, three hooded fairies. And Amrit is such a nice person. She's like, oh, they're innocent. You know, just to add insult to injury. Yeah, yeah. They're, not, they're not guilty of any crimes. These people are wholly innocent. You have to stab them and kill them. And Pharaoh just kind of is like, what? But Amarantha's reasoning on why she picked this as the final task is also bananas. It, it is. Because she's like, you gotta kill them like you killed Tamlin's poor sentinel and you know, you didn't care about that and, you know, just like Jurian butchered my sister and blood, like, girls got issues. Serious issues. Serious issues. And so it basically comes down to refuse and die or kill three innocents and live. Three innocents for my own future, for my own happiness, for Tamlin and his court, and the freedom of the entire land. So, Three people versus thousands. Yep. The odds suck. It's shitty. She doesn't have a winning decision here, people. 
And, mm-hmm. and you know, you gotta, you gotta feel for her because it's like, she's caught between a rock and a hard place. She really, I mean, there is no yeah. right answer. There is no third option here. So Feyre finally is like, fine. And she argues with herself. She's like, I can't do it. I can't send three people to their death that are completely innocent. You know, she knows that, yes, she, she, she killed, she killed Andrus. Knowing in the back of her mind that it was probably a fairy, but her, she was out hunting. She was looking for food Mm -hmm. and she was eyeing the same piece of food that she was. And she was like, damn it, if it's between me and you, I'm killing you because I want my dinner. Right. And that isn't what this is. This is murder and cold blood. And, and it just, she struggles. And she finally is like, you know what? Even if it damns me forever, I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. Like she, she realizes her, her soul is lost. Like if you believe in a heaven or a hell, she is certainly not going upstairs. She will be going down below. Yeah. And she even, she even makes a comment about that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's awful. Like, it's awful. Like, I can't even, without us reading three and a half pages straight, you know, like, I can't even summarize what she's dealing with. And it was funny because I actually said that to my husband earlier when I was preparing for our recording. I was talking about this section and I said, you know, somehow the first time you read it, you're so busy reading for the action that you kind of miss some of these little details. And I was like, it is heartbreaking how she knows what this is going to do to her before she Mm -hmm. even does it. It harkens back Mm -hmm. to what she says to Reese in the chapter before when she says, you know, I think about what Amarith has done to him and I can understand, you know, she kind of says, I can understand why he is the way he is because if that was done to me, you know, and now this is kind of her version of that. Yeah. It's just a lot. (laughs) It's a horrible, horrible situation. And, you know, as she comes to a decision, she's finally like, fine. The the betterment of the whole is better than ultimately her own life and her own soul. And she realizes that. Like, she's just like, you know, I'll, I'll sacrifice myself in this sense to get them their freedom, which is kind of a noble cause and a noble way to look at it um yeah and she kind of keeps telling us that because she'll uh-huh. bring so, that up yeah, again she does and so she she goes to step forward she grabs the the dagger and she's getting ready to stab the first fa- the first fay, which is a male and amarth is like whoa 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 stop at which point you're like oh shit what's she gonna do now you know you're like oh my god what is this crazy ass woman gonna do Right, I was like, oh crap, I don't trust her. Don't make us go through this. <laughs> I know, really. And what does she do? She has them take the hood off of the the victim. Which, I mean, are we surprised? No. God, how horrible. And it's a high female on the young side. And he starts begging and pleading with Favor not to do this. And, I mean, Favor really starts to struggle because she's like, I think... It, and I have to agree with her. It would have been easier if she didn't know who it was, if she didn't see the face. And I get that Amarantha is really fucking with her head by making her see the face. Um, I mean, it's a total, complete mind fuck. There is no other way to put it. And I'm sorry if my word choice is offensive, but it's a mind fuck. And it really you know, is. She, she's, she makes, you know, she, she, 
oh god there are struggles i mean this is not this is not like this is a couple of pages of her going back and forth and her internal monologue people so you have exactly she is just struggling with this and this fairy is just i mean he is begging and pleading and finally she stabs him and as she's watching him she 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 looks in his face after she stabs the dagger in and he is looking at her and his eyes are full of shock and hate and all i could think of to myself after i read that was like i i i can't even imagine what she's feeling you know and I 100% agree with that, especially because she has this moment right before she does it where she says she hears somebody crying in the crowd and she's thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm taking him away from somebody just, exactly. you know, like somebody who might love him as much as I love Tamlin. And that breaks my heart for her. But what I find so interesting is that she goes through this entire like feeling thought process again yes. for the second yes. fairy versus I think I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You never know how you're going to react in a crisis, but I would think once you did the first one, it'd be a heck of a lot easier to push through to the next because at this point you've already determined, guess I'm going to hell and I'm a horrible person. What's another one? Right. And I think what, one of the telling parts about this is, is you know, as I said, you know, his eyes, his eyes are full of shock and hate. And they remained on her as he sagged, damning her. And I'm like, oh my God, that poor, like, she knows at this point, she's, there, there is no turning back. There is no saving her. Um, right. And so then Amarantha's response was, you know, good job. And you're like, oh my God, you're a horrible person. <laughs> I mean, you knew it, but it's just, oh, the skeeviness of it. And, you know, Favor's like, you know, I, and, and I want to quote this because it's just, it, it kind of stuck with me, the imagery. And she's like, I wanted to get out of my body. I had to escape the stain of what I'd done. I had to get out. I couldn't endure the blood on my hands, the sticky warmth between my fingers. And it's funny, because hearing her say that, you're going to hate me and you're going to laugh. Um, I, I had a Macbeth moment, out, out damn spot. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know... It's funny because as soon as you said I was going to laugh, I was like, hmm, I bet this is about to go where I think it's going to go. <laughs> that Scottish play. Mm. That Scottish play. Yeah, it is a little bit like that. Um, it is. Uh, I mean, you kind of have that imagery. I mean, when you think about the imagery. Like the unhinged moment. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Feyre starts to pull herself together. I mean, God bless her. She's, she's just, she's like, oh, dear God. And, you know, and of course, Amaretha's like, are we having fun yet? <laughs> like, uh, no, no, this is not fun. So Feyre's like, all right, fine, fuck it, let's do this. And she turns to the second person. This is the female. And she goes to get the dagger. And they rip the hood off. And she, the, the female is already crying. Like, the hood comes off, and, and, and she's already crying. And it's just, I mean, this is heartbreaking. I mean, 
and you know Farah just wants to apologize she has no way to apologize and she just wants right. to apologize because she feels so guilty and so horrible and so awful for what she's going to have to do the fairy starts to recite a prayer that is almost identical to the one that Tamlin recited when the fairy died at the manor house right it, it kind of stops Farah a bit because she's listening to it and she starts crying Farah starts crying and she realizes that she will forever be banned from the immortal land because of what she has done or was doing. And that these deaths were going to be a permanent stain on her soul. And I mean, it's just, oh. I know, it's, it's a lot. Horrible. And I think there's like this one little line in there when she's like going through all of this that it's not really important now. It's kind of important, I think, in like the next book. Because she says, in saving Tamlin, I was to damn myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just think, like, we have to remember, like, how hard how? this 19-year-old human I mean, she's 19. is working. <laughs> I, I, I just, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, this is um, a lot. This is a lot for anybody. This is a lot for a fairy. This is a lot for, you know somebody much older, much, you know, who's seen a lot more and, and yet she's just kind of taking it for what it is and saving Tamlin. I was to damn myself and she's going to do it anyway. Right. And Favor's really struggling and this fairy kind of looks at her and kind of gives her the point of view of, Hey, it's okay. I forgive you. Like she in her own way in saying this prayer acknowledges the Pharaoh that she forgives her for this just make it quick and painless as painless as possible well and that's like an interesting thing too because this is supposed to be like an older woman and I think there's like a key there which is a the first Faye is younger and you know probably hasn't known anything really but like this amarantha nonsense and then but this older woman is kind of keying Farah in to like I understand why you need to do this and why we all need you to do this. So just do yeah. it. And she's not upset with her. And, and I, I respect that. I really do. And there's a quote here. Um, and this is something that, that ties into the whole, what you were talking about with the, the Tamlin bit. And this is in their internal monologue. It's, As I lift the ash dagger, something inside me fractured so completely that there would never be hope of ever repairing it no matter how many years pass no matter how many times i might try to paint her face but the fact that she acknowledges that she is fractured now so completely i mean she is so not the person she was when she walked under that mountain three months ago not even a little bit and this has just irrevocably changed her and i think especially with the way Tamlin has treated her and everything that happened last night, then to have to go through this, I really think it's a very defining moment and, and it becomes important as the book finishes out. Well, because you and I have already told listeners for the most part that these stories, like this first one is mostly setting up for, you know, you could read it as a standalone, but you know, it's mostly setting up for more or less of a trilogy feel. And we deal with a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. And in this book, we are watching the trauma in real time versus 
you know, hearkening back to past traumas. True, true, true. And I think that's the thing that's so interesting is I think a lot of books reference trauma you don't see happening in real time. But in this moment, she knows it's happening. She does. Which is just like heartbreaking. It is. I I cried the first time I read the book. Um, In fact, I, I cry... I think it was, it was like my fourth time reading it before I stopped crying at this point. So I, I cried through the first three read-throughs. Totally um, fair. Of this chapter. I just bawled the whole time. Even knowing it was coming, I bawled. So I don't know what that says about me, but I cried. And, you know, the fairy basically gives her permission to kill her. And so Feyre finally just does. And it's heartbreaking for Feyre because this woman's family and loved ones really start losing it and and it it really gets to Feyre and after it's over she went she 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 you know we, we you hear about this when people talk about trauma and they talk about being in traumatic environments and situations um you, you kind of take your mind and you go somewhere far far away to kind of separate yourself from what's going on around you and she does that yeah, it's apparently like a body's coping, like coping me- mechanism. Like you exactly. don't even really control it. It's like your brain trying to save you from yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't know. It's it's horrible. I feel I feel so bad for her for this situation because it just she couldn't win. And but the crowd starts to change after she kills the second fairy because they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's one fairy left. And the crowd starts to realize, if this happens, we're free. Deep sadness and a deep level of grief going on, but at the same time, there's this level of excitement and anticipation running along, too. And apparently, Sarah pulls herself together and she looks at, she looks up at Amarantha, and Amarantha's smiling like the crazy bitch she is. Like she do. And then she looks at Reese. And Reese isn't looking at her. Reese is looking at Amarantha. Yeah, I mean, from what we know about him, it sounds like he's looking at her like, these are your last moments, bitch. (laughs) You know, you don't know what's going through his head, but you gotta wonder. (laughs) Like, you know, he's just like, well, she's got two down, one to go, so ha ha to you too. And so Feyre's like, one fairy, you were free. One more swing on my arm. Well, maybe, maybe two. I mm-hmm. kill that fairy, then I'm going to kill myself. I she's know. Really, she's I got know. Serious self, self-hate going on. She really does. Because she's like, it would be a relief, a relief to end it by my own hand, a relief to die rather than face this, what I'd done. And I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, if we thought we broke her before, I mean, God, like, we just talked about a whole freaking chapter where she was already depressed as fuck in her cell. I mean, there's not a lot coming back from this. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I mean, you know, you talk about soldiers and PTSD, and I I think we have some PTSD that's going to come out of this somehow. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I, I have to say that, like, I, the first time I read it, I was like, oh, crap if she lives this is gonna suck for sure for sure so 
they offer her the final dagger and she's like fine fuck it let's do this i want to get this over with because i think she really has kind of decided that after she does this she's going to literally turn around and kill herself she's just not even going to give amaranth or anyone else a chance and before she could get her hand on the dagger they pulled the hood off of the third fairy it's tamlin but wait tamlin's sitting next to amarantha yeah poor Feyre. she's she struggles and she's like what the and amarantha just kind of giggles snaps her fingers the one sitting next to her that's not tamlin that was the adder yep and amarantha's like is there something wrong fair starts to lose it lose it i know even reese starts to come a little unhinged he just kind of it was not the twist he was expecting either because he apparently gets really like pale and freaked out yeah well because think about it he's got two issues like truthfully i think this is twofold like i said in the last chapter you know maybe i'm reading too much into it but i think we got two issues here one he's going shit she's not gonna do it i don't think she can do this like anybody else and she'd be able to do this and we'd be all walking away out of here but no not today and then two i think he feels horrible for her yeah you know what i mean i mean like he like i said we just real you know you and i talked about this you know earlier on but in the last chapter even farah and reese talk about it like he has been on her side this whole time yeah and if he had any indication that this was going to happen i think he would have told her exactly so it comes as a shock i think honestly it's a shock to everybody in the room except for amaranth and the adder and her cronies and you know favors like this is not fair and you know amaranth is like well i didn't even know you knew what that was which is really a horrible thing to say and then she's like, but then Amaranth is like, well, would you rather forfeit your life for his? You know, what's the point? You survive only to lose him. Imagine all those years you were going to spend together, suddenly gone. Tragic, really, though a few months ago you hated our kind enough to butcher us. Surely you'll move on easily enough. And then she looks at Jurian's ring and she points it and she goes, Jurian's human lover did that's horrible this is just i mean this is just oh your heart just comes out of your chest for this and so amaranth is like what's what's it gonna be and you know fair was thinking about this and she's like you know if i kill him i save his court i save everybody here i save prithian i save my own life maybe well maybe because now even reese's plan is kind of out the window because you got to remember the only reason really the the deal with amarantha was i solved this i set tamlin and the spring court free not everybody reese is banking on the fact that he if let free and given back his powers he will kill amarantha thus letting everybody else free so now this is a shit show now she's like well if i kill him then what the people of his court go home and the rest of us stay here like now what's the deal exactly exactly it's or she can kill herself and everybody will be slaves to amarantha and the king of highburn is going to get whatever he wants that he's trying to do talk about you cannot win we thought she could win before right 
she's really ooh, mm, not a fun decision. She starts thinking about everything and she's just trying to find a way to make sense of all of this and get herself together emotionally. She starts thinking and she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Alice, Alice had said something. Our homegirl, Alice. <laughs> that friend. And she's like, she couldn't say it, but it would aid her. And again, it's all about the, your senses are going to fail you. Mostly her sense of sight. And I think that's the big thing is, is that her sense of sight is the one that's really going to fail her. And we've seen that time and time again. How many, yeah, I mean, throughout the story, her, her, her sight has really been one to fail her. Um, her hearing, too, to some, to some extent, but definitely sight has been an issue. And so she starts thinking back to everything Alice has told her before she got under the mountain about the curse and everything. And then she starts, she turns, she looks at Tamlin, and she's, she starts really thinking. And she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He lied to me about everything. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, no. He'd lied and explained as best he could and made it painfully obvious to me at every turn that something was very, very wrong. Like in the garden when she overheard the adder talking to Tamlin and Lucian. Yep. When Lucian and Tamlin were talking and arguing in the dining room and she overheard them. Yep. Because Tamlin wanted her to know. He wanted her to listen, not see, listen. And she's turning everything she can remember now over in her head, mulling these thoughts out and going, what was it? What is so important? Right, because Blondie, it turns out, had a plan too. Reese ain't the only one with plans. <laughs> right. And a couple of things pop up in her head. The first one is, one of the last things she heard the Adder say when she was hidden with the two missed wraithy whatever girls, Milady makes no bargains that are not advantageous to her. And that makes her think for a minute. She's like, wait, wait, wait. Amarantha would never get rid of Tamlin. She would never harm him permanently because she wants Tamlin. Right. Then, so that gets fair with thinking that, well, if she's not going to do it, she's thinking I'm not going to because it, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to because I love him too much. But sometimes, you know, she's clicking and she starts thinking through these conversations. Two, two different comments come out. One from Lucian when they were talking in the dining room and Lucian had said to him, for someone with a heart of stone, yours is certainly soft these days. And she starts looking at Tamlin, and then she thinks back to what the adder told Tamlin in the garden that she overheard that said, and, and the adder said, though you have a heart of stone, Tamlin, you certainly keep a host of fear inside it. She's looking at Tamlin, and like, it clicks. It's clicking. Amarantha would never think of killing Tamlin. And she knew that Feyre couldn't kill him, literally, because if his heart is a heart of stone, it can't be pierced by a dagger. She starts thinking about it. 
and she's like, and every time I held Tamlin, every time I, I, I snuggle up and cuddle up with him, I never heard his heartbeat. Yep. And she starts to realize she's got to be right. She has to be right. She takes a deep breath and she reaches over and she gets the dagger out of the pillow. And Tamlin gives her a smile, a faint one, but he's smiling at her. Finally, finally, he gives us some indication that he's like with us. <laughs> fate, as, as she says, fate had kept me alive just to get to this point, just to see if I had been listening. And so what does Feyre do? She looks at Tamlin, she's holding this dagger, she goes, I love you, and she stabs him. End of chapter, mic drop. <laughs> and I just want to point out that that's also how a certain episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer goes down when a certain angel uh, is, you know, on a mad rampage, has lost his soul, and somebody got to stab him. So, stubby, stubby. Stubby, stubby, Buffy stubby, with stubby. tears streaming down her face tells him, I love you, and stabs his ass. Um, so, yeah, like Kim said, it's the end of the chapter, and uh, weirdly enough, where we leave you here. <laughs> Literally. It is the end of the chapter. It's, I love you and yeah. she stabs him. The last line of the chapter, it's like, talk about a cliffhanger. Yes. What's and we're going to leave. is right. Exactly. And that's where we're going to leave you all. Because, not because we're cruel. We don't normally do this. <laughs> it's because we know that this episode is already going to be halfway lengthy, despite it only being three chapters, because of how much we had to go through uh, in the previous chapter. But also because the way the book goes from here is a completely different conversation. It is. And it's only a couple chapters, people. Exactly. And then the book's over. Yes. Like, we are at the end. Yes. So, uh, next episode will be the end of the book. Um, anticipated mm -hmm. being uh, another halfway lengthy episode, because, again, I think it's only three chapters, but it covers so much ground. And then, of course, we're going to want to talk about the book as a whole. <laughs> So you have more you have more episodes coming, people. We're not done. Not by a long shot. Not even a little bit, friends, because well, there are more books in the series. <laughs> One, there are more books in the series, and then there are two other series that this wonderful author that we adore has written. Exactly. That I've read. But before we let you go, be angry about this cliffhanger. <laughs> before we do that kim has a few songs for our playlist let's talk about it <laughs> yeah i do but i will tell you all there are only a few it really isn't a whole lot at all so the first the first song is a love song um and if you're an 80s girl like i am and you know the cure you know the song 311 did a remake of it well, Adele did a remake of it. Hers is really pretty. Oh, Adele. <laughs> we do love Miss Adele with her pretty, sexy, smoky voice. And um, it is her version of Love Song, because if you know the lyrics and, and you, you know it, it, it really kind of fits. And we see it as the song that gets sent to her in her cell, that she hears, the, the, the music that she hears in her cell. And, you know, we go with the Adele version, but, you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I have to admit, I, I am a Cure fan. Nobody can do the song like the Cure because, well, it's the Cure. And then um, the next song, the, the second song is Water is Wide, which if you are into folk music, traditional music, especially of the Celtic variety, 
it should be stuff you are familiar with. Um, I grew up listening to it. I can't even tell you the first time I heard it or who, who performed it. I, I'll be honest. Um, but the version in particular that I, I chose for this is the one that is on the Lilith Fair CD from the Lilith Fair Festival that Sarah McLaughlin and other female musical artists uh, put on and toured around the country with. And it, the Indigo Girls, Jewel, and Sarah singing, and it's a truly beautiful rendition. Um, Water is White is usually told from the male point of view, and one of the reasons why I, I really like this version, it is told from the female point of view, because you have four female singers, and they do kind of twist the words a little to give you the female perspective, and, and it talks about the gap, you know, the, the female, it's like they're in Scotland and on a loch, which is a lake, if you use the Scottish vernacular, you understand that lock means lake. And they're, you know, the woman's like on one side of it and the man's on the other. And it's this really deep, wide expanse of water. And they have to cross it to get to each other. And it's just, there's this distance and it's, you know, metaphorical. But it's really fitting for how Sarah's kind of feeling in this entire um, three chapters especially the first two chapters that we discussed because for sure you know she's she's losing track of time she she has no interaction with tamlin i mean he has not in three months even acknowledged her pretty much yeah which is something is like kim and i were talking about how we kind of want to dive into like character specifics and like a bonus episode but we were saying earlier when we were prepping to record that it's really interesting to think about the fact that, you know, you don't really think about it when you're actively reading it. You're just like, okay, uh-huh. then this happens and that happens. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, almost three full months have gone by. And like, other they than no like, interaction. right. Other than, and other than when they finally do <laughs> make out in the dark hallway. I mean, he hasn't looked, he's barely looked at her, let alone said right. anything to her. Right. And like, you don't, like I said, you don't really notice it and you forget that like, honestly, she's had more interaction with like Reese and Lucian. <laughs> exactly. Than she has with Tamlin. With Tam. Other than a couple yeah. of glances. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre. Like, it, no wonder she's on the struggle bus. You know, and, and it, one of the beautiful things about this song and it talks about is, is, you know, the the separation and the distance between these two lovers and how they feel and how the, the female in this particular version, how she's feeling. And so it's just, I thought it was a really beautiful, pretty acoustic version of this song that is usually done acoustically anyway, but it's just these four women who have these beautiful voices anyway, just singing a gorgeous song, just kind of gives you the feels i don't know how else to explain it but it kind of gives gives me the feels and kelsey agreed yeah we we put it in then the next song okay you have to forgive us this is our theater coming out (laughs) um first time i ever heard the song i'm gonna tell you all a story real quick i was watching a trial version of a andrew lloyd weber show called whistled down the wind it didn't do very well it ended up coming off broadway but it was a pre-broadway tour and as terrible as the show is, as bad as the script is, and I'm not going to lie, it's a bad script. The whole show is bad. But the <laughs> music is awesome. It ain't my favorite anyway. Well, it's not my favorite show. I don't like the show, but I love the music. I fell in love with the music. It's got some great music and some beautiful, beautiful songs. 
And one of the songs that I fell in love with, it's funny, it was made popular by a 90s, late 90s, early 2000s boy band called Boyzone in England. And the song is called No Matter What. And it's just so fitting for the very beginning of chapter 43 when Farah is like, I'm going to love you no matter what, because that's what the song is basically about. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it's kind of a bad Broadway <laughs> cheesy moment. Got to go there. Because, go you know, there are times my life is a musical in action. What can I say? And our last song, again, it's, I'm being very tongue in cheek, people. You got to go with me on this is um and it goes right for the very end of chapter 43 which is melt my heart to stone by adele <laughs> i hope y'all understand why that got picked because if you don't i'm kind of worried <laughs> you don't gotta agree with us again this is us as, as i keep telling you all this is us some of these songs are a little bit more serious than others and and even though this is a beautiful song that adele sings the title of the song alone is what made us pick it. I mean, exactly. we, had to go there. We, we, we literally were giggling when we realized it. We were like, oh my gosh, what a perfect song. And we, we picked it. So those are your four songs for this episode. Um, enjoy them. I know it's, it's not a lot. We'll have more at the end of the next episode. Um, and, you know, enjoy. Enjoy listening. I mean, like I said, if you have suggestions, oh my gosh, please let us know. For I'm sure. For, a new song. for sure. And as a reminder, uh, if you're listening on Spotify, you should be able to hear clips of these songs or maybe the full songs, depending on how, uh, you know, you do your Spotify, but you should be able to hear some of these songs at the end of the episode. If you're listening on another platform, you're welcome to go find these songs. And yeah. if you have suggestions for songs, you can find us in all of these places. Remember that all of these have two A's like Sarah J. Mass's name because we're so funny. Our website, <laughs> MassiveFansBookClub.com, Facebook at MassiveFansBookClubAndPodcast, Twitter at MassivePodcast, Instagram at MassiveFansPodcast, Pinterest at MassiveFans, and TikTok at MassiveFanPod. <laughs> So if you can't find us, you're just not looking. <laughs> or you can email us. Yes, or you can email us. Uh, link is in the website. Uh, and like yeah. I said, if you can't find us, you're not looking or you're spelling it wrong. <laughs> yeah, basically. basically. So like we said, two A's, mass, if fans, hyphen, yep. if that helps you. Uh, and not I mean, in any of the, that? not in any of the social handles, but you know, no. on Spotify. Yeah. Yes. Well, but, next you know, episode we wrap this shindig up. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 I'm excited and terrified. <laughs> you know, I am too. But we appreciate that you all have gotten this far with us. And here's here's an important thing that we do ask is, you know, stick with us. Um, we are going to finish the book next time. But Kelsey said we're going to do a couple of bonus episodes about this book. Because um, we have stuff we want to talk about that we couldn't go into because otherwise you guys would hate us because these episodes would be like five hours long. And not only and that, but the you. bonus episode. 
Not only that, but the bonus episodes will allow us uh, to kind of dive into things that we know are coming in other books because the bonus episodes will assume that you've already read most of the series. So you don't really have to like listen to those in order. So keep your eye out for those. But in the meantime, uh, have a wonderful week and we will be back with you next week. Sounds good. I'll talk to y'all soon. Yay! Okay, bye!